All right, as you stand, if you'll turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Uh, If you're using a Bible in front of you on the pew, uh, you can find it on page 547. Again, we're going to read Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, uh, Lord, providing uh, a way for us to be prepared for this uh, coming day. Lord, we ask that you would just remind us of your grace and your mercy, but also, uh, God, just preach the truth. Um, of this day of judgment uh, that you have in store. We just ask that our hearts would be changed and molded to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today we come to the final chapter in the book of Malachi, a series we have been in for the last eight weeks, and now we are here to conclude uh, this book which is also the final chapter in the Old Testament. The words that we read here in chapter 4 are the the final words of our God before 400 years of silence. Unknown to the people in Malachi's day, these these would be the final words God would communicate to His people until the the Messiah would come on the scene some 400 years early. And so God's final words here, the final chapter here in the book of Malachi, are pretty important to say the least. In other words, we need to pay heed. We need to pay attention. We need to take note because God wants us to know something important. God has something to say to us, something that will make a difference in your life for all eternity. Reminds me of the story of Jeff who traveled from college to a strange town to visit his new college sweetheart over the holidays. And and this was a little town that only had one drugstore. And so he stopped in to buy his sweetheart some candy before proceeding over to her house. And as he was checking out, the pharmacist asked him why he was buying three boxes of chocolates. Jeff explained, oh, I'm visiting my girlfriend tonight at her house. And after dinner, we're going to sit out on the porch on the swing. And if she lets me hold her hand, I'll give her a half-pound box of chocolates. But if she lets me kiss her, well, I'll give her this one-pound box of chocolates. But if she really lets me get romantic with her, well, I'm going to give her this three-pound box of chocolates. Later that evening, Jeff arrived at his girlfriend's house. As they sat down to eat, Jeff asked if he could say the blessing before the meal. And so Jeff started praying, and he prayed one of the most heartfelt, 
sincere prayers that you have ever heard in your life. He prayed on and on and on he went. And finally he said, Amen. When he finished, his girlfriend said, Why, Jeff, I had no idea that you were so religious. And Jeff said, And I had no idea that your father was the local pharmacist. Listen, what you don't know, what you don't know in life can hurt you. And when it comes to God's final words here in his, this little book, the prophet Malachi, here in chapter 4, it's important to know something. It's important for us to hear and to know what God has to say because what you don't know can hurt you for all eternity. And so the very first thing that God has something to say to us, the first thing that He wants us to know is this. And I invite you to pull out your, the insert in your bulletin there. If you want to take notes, you can. The, the notes will be on the, the screen behind me. But if you want to fill in the blank, it's this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That's the first thing God wants you to know this morning. The Lord is coming. And depending on what you believe about Jesus Christ, the day of His coming, listen to me, will either be a day of judgment or it will be a day of joy. And so this final chapter has a message for all of us here this morning. Either a message of warning or a message of hope. And so I invite you to hear and to know God's message this morning. God declares in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Malachi, For behold, the day is coming. Now this word behold, we've seen this already once before in this book. It's a word that calls special attention to something. Something that is important. Something that is unique. And so this word behold, it, it signals and it acts like a, a flashing light to us all here. And it says, watch out. Pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say here. And what is being said? Well, we are to watch out for, and we are to pay, pay special attention to, the day of the Lord. Why? Because it's coming. In fact, three times in these six verses, God states that this day is coming. Notice in verse 1 again, He says, Behold, the day is coming. Later on in the same verse, He says, And the day which is coming. You drop down to verse 5, and it says, The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, what is this coming day of the Lord? What's it talking about? What's it referring to? Well, this is one of those big themes in the Bible, and especially of the prophets in the Old Testament here. The day of the Lord is, in a, is a succession of days and events throughout history that all culminate on the last day. Specifically, if we funnel it on down, the day of the Lord ultimately refers to none other than the second coming when Jesus will come again and everyone will give an account of their life to Jesus. On this day, on this coming day of the Lord, listen to me, everyone will bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some for eternal salvation, and it will be a joyous day, but others for eternal damnation, and it will be a dreadful day. 
And so the day of the Lord is the best day for the believer in Jesus Christ, but it is the worst day for the unbeliever. And so this message is something that God wants us to hear. This is a message that God wants you to hear and to know. For this is a message that makes all the difference in eternity. And so my goal this morning is simply twofold. I want us to answer two questions from these six verses. The first question that I want us to answer is, what will this coming day of the Lord be like? God tells us. And then the second question I want us to answer is, what do we need to do to prepare ourselves for this coming day of the Lord? And God tells us the answer to that question as well, too. So let's answer the first question. What will the coming day of the Lord be like? Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Number one, the coming day of the Lord will be a day of judgment for the wicked. We live in a culture, though, where people do not like to hear about judgment. I don't want to hear about judgment. But the fact that we do not like it does not make it go away nonetheless. We can deny this. We can ignore this coming day of judgment as much as we want. But God's words here in Malachi chapter 4 are still true. The world has developed a sort of mentality that says that you can live any way that you please in this life and it doesn't make any difference. For God is love. And that is true. God is love, is He not? In fact, God is full of mercy. God is full of compassion. And He is full of grace. But what we must never forget as well is God is also just. And He is holy. And His love may be patient now. But a day is coming. One day His patience will be exhausted. And He will come in judgment. There will be a day of judgment when sin and evil will be conquered once and for all. And like much of the Old Testament prophecy, this future prediction has progressive fulfillment. This judgment of sin and evil is centrally fulfilled in Jesus' first coming when He died on the cross for our sins and, and God unleashed, if you will, His just wrath, not on us, but on whom? His own Son, hanging on the cross. And through faith now, in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the guilt and the shame and the power of sin is removed in our lives when we put our faith and trust in Him. This is why Paul later on in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 15 can write these words when he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having concealed the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing, if you will, that charge to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is why, at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus declared those famous words, It is finished. Sin, when Jesus died on the cross. Listen, it is a defeated enemy, and the complete destruction of sin now is certain. 
This is God's just response to those who, who do not fear Him and instead they cry out and mock Him and say, listen, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter how I live. It's my life and I'll do what I choose. Wrong. What we believe has eternal consequences. And on the day of Jesus' second coming, the wicked, God says, will be judged. Make no mistake, this day of judgment will be a dreadful, horrible event for the wicked. Look what God says in verse 1. Look at it with me again. He says, for behold, the day is coming. And now he describes what that day is like. He says, burning like an oven. And all the proud, who are the proud? The proud are those who do not think they need God. They ignore God. They live their own lives apart from God. Yes, all who do wickedly. What does that mean, those people who do wickedly? Because right now in our minds, we think of people who do wickedly as only mass murderers, terrorists, and whatnot. Those who are incarcerated. No, wickedly means those who simply disobey God without any regard for eternity. And God says they will be stubble on that day. And the day which is coming shall burn them up says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. And so this, this is God's response to a question that was asked earlier in the book of Malachi by the people in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when it seemed to them that God was blessing the proud and that the proud were getting away, it's the old cliche, with murder. That God was allowing it. He was not just. He was not bringing justice on people. But God now responds. And He says, listen, the day is coming. And it will be a dreadful day for the wicked. Now, why will it be a dreadful day for the wicked? Well, God is very explicit in that. Notice this in your notes here. This dreadful day will be like a burning furnace for the wicked. Now, when you think of a burning furnace, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? You may think of several hundred degrees. You may think of something that's way too hot to touch. My mind always flashes back to Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were thrown into what was called in that day a burning furnace. Blazing with fire. In fact, Daniel goes on to tell us that this furnace, Nebuchadnezzar had it heated up seven times, hotter than normal. And when they threw these three Hebrew men into the furnace, the guards who ushered them up to the furnace, we are told that they burned to death. They died. That's how hot this furnace was, and that is what my mind goes to. What do you think of? It also reminds me when we go to student life camp out in Estes Park, Colorado, and uh, we always have a time, one of the nights there, where we, after chapel, we get together and we have a bonfire. Remember that last year? And I love bonfires. Who doesn't like a big bonfire, right? Love bonfires. And, and so, since I was there last year, we had a big bonfire. And let me tell you, it was blazing hot. It was so hot, you had to stand back. I mean, if you got too close, your eyebrows singed. I mean, it was, it was hot. In fact, you could barely, you were like trying to roast your marshmallows like this, you know. And that's what I tend to think of. What do you think of? 
Whatever comes to your mind, this is the image God wants us to have embedded in our minds. God says that this dreadful day will be like a burning furnace. The fire of God's furnace will be consuming. That is right now. People experience some consequences for sin. We all do. But on the day of judgment, those consequences will be fully and ultimately realized. The fire of God's furnace will be complete. There will be complete separation from God once and for all with no second chances on the day of judgment. As one author writes, no hope will exist for them. No future, no brighter day. All will be over, consumed by the mighty fire of God. And yet, don't think here, that the fire of God's furnace results in what some people call annihilationism. You're like, what in the world is that? Let me explain. Where after you die, you cease to exist. Or after you suffer a little while, it comes to an end. You see, the burning that is spoken of here is not like the burning that happens in a fireplace in your home or in the fire pit in your backyard where you put a log on the fire, and eventually what happens? It burns out. The burning in hell is not like that. It's a supernatural burning because it's eternal. Isaiah 66, 24 says it this way, Their fire shall not be quenched. In other words, the fires of hell never go out. The burning and suffering is eternal. It's unyielding and unending. And so even Jesus himself, when you go to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, when he was here on earth, it is recorded that even he spoke in the same language of this, using the language like burning like an oven, fiery flame, painful torment, eternal separation from God. Jesus uses the same language. Why? To capture our attention. To create a, a sense of urgency within our hearts to avoid this kind of eternal judgment that awaits us if we reject God's salvation found in His Son, Jesus Christ. But we live in a day when it's considered intolerant for me to say that. But because I love you, and because God loves you, I must say this. I have to say this. Remember, what you don't know can hurt you. And so we need to know here this morning what God says in His Word about the coming day of the Lord. Our culture says that all religions are the same and that the only thing you need to do to go to heaven is simply die. This is why when you go to a funeral, you often hear people say things like, well, you know, they're in a better place now. And in my 14 years of pastor here, I've done a lot of funerals and I've heard this said more than once. When you over here and you listen to the conversations of family members and friends as they look on the body that's placed in that casket, especially during the visitation time or after the service when they see that person one last time. But God says that it takes more than your death 
to go to a better place. It takes the death of Jesus in your place to go to a better place. And so God starts with judgment and hell. And the question is, does he have your attention? Through the prophet Malachi, God is warning you to consider your eternal destination here this morning and whether or not you have turned from your sin and you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation or if you are destined for judgment in hell. So God talks about hell, but he also talks about heaven, doesn't he? And it's a glorious thing when God talks about heaven. Think about it. For the unbeliever, though, for the one who has yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for the unbeliever, this life that we touch with our hands, we see with our eyes, this life that we experience now, this is as close to heaven as they will ever get. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, this life is as close to hell as they will ever get. Upon dying, it gets eternally worse for the unbeliever, but it gets eternally better for the believer in Jesus Christ. And what I find ironic is that most Americans, according to surveys, don't believe in hell, but they do believe in heaven. Go figure. Why? Because most people don't want to think about the fact that there will be a judgment that awaits us at the end of our lives. But they do want the hope that there is heaven waiting for us. Well, there is judgment from Christ, but there is also mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen? And God wants us to know this now while there's still time to respond to His mercy in Jesus Christ. So what will the coming day of the Lord be like? It will be a day of judgment for the wicked. So what will it be like for the righteous, though? Well, look at this point. The coming day of the Lord, number two, will be a day of joy for the righteous. What a contrast here. What a vivid contrast. The coming day of the Lord will be for the righteous. You say, well, who are the righteous? Listen, the righteous are those people who fear God. They're people who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. You say, well, who are the wicked? The wicked are those who don't fear God. Instead, they ignore God in their lives, and they reject His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong here. Please understand, the righteous are not righteous through their good works. The righteous are not righteous because of anything they've done or because of who they are. The righteous are righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and His work, His good work on the cross when he died and his resurrection. And what God wants us to know is that while the coming day of the Lord will be a day of judgment for the wicked, it will be a glorious, joyous day for the righteous. Why? Because it will be a day when Jesus comes as the son of righteousness to those who fear him, to those who trust him for their salvation. We're coming out of a season when the days are cold, short, and dark. It's called wintertime here in the Midwest. And oh, how we look forward to springtime, right? And we love last weekend when we had time change because now when we drive home from work, it's light out. And you just kind of have, when you get home, you're not like, oh, where's the bed? You're like, wow, I think I want to take a walk. There's just something about light. And there's something about the warmth of the sun that just lifts people's spirit. 
It's amazing. And in this same way, Jesus will come as the Son of Righteousness. But what does it mean when it says the Son of Righteousness? Well, it means Jesus will make all things right. He makes people right with God and people right with people through forgiveness and reconciliation. And in the end, He will make right all wrongs that His people have suffered so that we don't have to carry the burden of revenge and resentment and bitterness. If you look at the injustices in the world today, and there are numerous injustices in our world today, you see people suffering when they seem innocent. And you see people prospering when they seem wicked. And Jesus is giving us an answer here to that, what we see with our eyes. And that is, His answer is, where He is trusted, He can reconcile and He can restore relationships. And where He is not trusted, listen, He will have the last word in judgment. And so Jesus will come as the Son of Righteousness. And notice what Jesus will bring as the Son of Righteousness to those who are righteous, not in themselves, but in Jesus Christ. Look at it with me in verses 2 through 3. He says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Who needs a little healing here this morning? And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. And you're like, oh, I, I like that. Fat like a stall-fed calf. But I don't know what that means, but I can't wait till he explain it to me. And you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, what we see in these verses are three things that Jesus brings to us. Look at this. Check this out with me. First of all, the Son of Righteousness will bring healing to the righteous. Now, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ here this morning, get this. You have already tasted His healing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have tasted. You have experienced His healing already. For you have been healed of your sins. What's the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 53? By His stripes you were healed. Your sins have been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. But because we still live in this fallen world, we still experience the effects of sin, don't we? And so we look forward to the coming day when Jesus will bring complete and final healing to our lives. A day when there will be no more sickness and suffering, no more disease and death, no more tragedy and tears, and all the pain and sorrow and crying, it will be gone forever. Do you not look forward to that day? Doesn't that sound great? No more doctors, no more hospitals, no more chemotherapy, no more hospice. It's almost hard for us to conceive since all we know is a world where sin brings death. But because Jesus conquers death, and He did it on the cross, and through His resurrection, He now brings life and healing. And though Jesus does not yet heal every disease in this life, although He has the power to do so, He will heal every disease in the resurrection. Jesus will bring spiritual healing. He will bring emotional healing. He will bring physical healing in totality for all of God's people forever. 
Wow. I get more excited about that than the Jayhawks winning last night. <laughs> Second of all, Jesus says, Malachi tells us here that the Son of Righteousness will bring rejoicing to the righteous. Verse 2 says, And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Now, you may have Bibles in your laps right now with a different translation where it's worded a little differently. I actually like the different wording of some other translations better than how the New King James translates this phrase. Here's a better translation, in my opinion, where it says, And you will go forth and skip about like calves set free from their stalls. And what does that mean? Well, the people of Malachi's day, they would take the calves in the wintertime and they would put them in stalls where they would be locked up all winter long. And you can imagine the calves' excitement the moment those stalls were opened in the spring and they were set free. Now, I didn't understand this until we got a dog. How many of you have a dog? I have two dogs, actually. We have two boxers. They're my girls, and they're, oh, they're the greatest girls you can imagine. I love my boxers. And so when we're gone during the day, we put one of our boxers, Jasmine, in the kennel. We crater in our basement. And uh, let me tell you, when we come home and open the door to that kennel, guess what she does? Man, she goes wild for about the next 30 seconds. Just running around, prancing around, running through the house. She is all excited when we open the door to that kennel after being gone at work all day long. And in the same way, Jesus will bring this kind of excitement to God's people when He comes again and we are set free from the bondage of sin once and for all. What a day of rejoicing it will be for those who have received forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Number three, Jesus, as the Son of Righteousness, will bring victory to the righteous. Now, if we're not careful here, we might misinterpret the last part of verse 3. Look at it with me, what it says. God says, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, don't make the mistake here of focusing on the actions of the righteous against the wicked. Rather, what I want you to see is the result of what happens on the day Jesus comes again. This is not some death dance over the graves of the wicked. On the contrary, this is a picture of complete victory over the wicked that Jesus will bring to those who are righteous. But until that day, we do have to admit that it indeed appears that the wicked are winning over the righteous. In fact, in this evil world, in this sin-filled world of ours, God does permit the wicked to triumph over the godly. And there are many, many injustices where the innocent do suffer while their tormentors often get away with murder. All you got to do is read the latest news with ISIS and what's happening in Syria and the Middle East. Perhaps all you have to do is just look no further than what takes place in your home life. 
or a neighbor's, a friend, a co-worker. It doesn't make any difference. It's all around us. But remember, here is the hope. Here is our confidence. Remember, a day is coming when the Son of Righteousness will make all wrongs right and He will bring victory to the righteous. Perfect justice will prevail on the coming day of the Lord. Jesus saves and Jesus judges. Jesus heals and Jesus crushes. And depending on what you believe about Jesus today, this coming day of the Lord will either be a day of judgment or it will be a day of joy. So how then can you make sure that this will be a day of joy for you instead of a day of judgment for you? What must you do to prepare for the coming day of the Lord? Well, let's look at three ways to prepare. Number one, first of all, the first way to prepare for this coming day is to look backward. Look backward and remember the law of Moses. Notice what it says in verse 4. God says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now the law of Moses, we know it better as what? The Ten Commandments. And while the law of Moses is much broader and bigger than just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments basically summarizes all the Law of Moses, in which God lays out, the purpose of the Law of Moses, is where God lays out His standard for His people and how to live in relation to Him and in relation to one another. Because when you look at the Ten Commandments, all ten of them either had to do with our relationship with God or our relationship with people. And so in the Ten Commandments, God is laying out His standard by which He wants His people to live. But God wants His people to do more than just remember the law of Moses. God expected His people to know the law of Moses and also to keep the law of Moses. However, don't think that we can be saved from our sins. Don't think for a moment here that you can be prepared for the coming day of the Lord by keeping the Ten Commandments. You say, why is that? Because God's command here to remember God's law is a call to remember that while we must obey God's law, we can't obey God's law. You see, no one can obey the law perfectly. We all, we all fall short of God's standard in the Ten Commandments, do we not? Who here has not broken one of the Ten Commandments? Who here has not broken more like all of them? We're all guilty. And the Bible calls this it's a little itty-bitty word, but it's powerful. The Bible calls this sin. When we fall short of living up to God's standard of righteousness. And this leads to condemnation in our lives, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. And so God gave the law of Moses, listen to me, not as a way of salvation. Listen, the Apostle Paul tried to achieve salvation by keeping the law of Moses. And he was the greatest Pharisee there ever was, and he fell short still. 
And so the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, are not given as a way to attain salvation, but rather to serve as a mirror in our faces that shows our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Somebody who did fulfill the law of Moses perfectly. And of course, that's none other than who? Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the second way we must prepare. So we look back and we remember the law of Moses. And folks, what we remember is, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Because I can't keep the law of Moses. I cannot keep the Ten Commandments. Which brings us then to number two, look upward. Look upward to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus who came the first time as our Savior. Before it's too late, when Jesus comes the second time as our judge. Look what it says in verses 5-6 through here. It says, Behold, there we have that word again. Pay attention. This is important. He says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. If you go back to Malachi 3, chapter 1, God said, I will send my messenger. And now in similar words, Jesus says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And we know from the New Testament that the messenger of Malachi 3, 1 is John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah before Jesus' first coming to prepare the way of His coming. And he had one message, repent. And here now in Malachi 4, 5, God says He will send Elijah before Jesus' second coming. So what is the purpose of that, though? What is the purpose of God sending Elijah before Jesus' second coming? Here it is. Before Jesus comes in judgment, God sends His prophet in mercy to warn us. And that warning has one message. Repent of your sin now before it's too late. And trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 12, pictures two witnesses at the end of the age who will make one last call to God's people, specifically the Israelites, the nation of Israel, to repent and prepare for the coming day of the Lord. And most Bible scholars believe that one of these two witnesses will be none other than Elijah who comes back to prepare the way. But here's the point. We have had Elijahs all along the way throughout history. All through the Old Testament, we had the prophets who came like Elijah. John the Baptist comes on the scene like Elijah. Even Jesus himself comes on the scene and he preaches repentance. The this apostles in the New Testament, they are all saying the same thing. Here's the point. God says that before Jesus comes in judgment, Elijah is going to show up in mercy and he will preach repentance. Why? Because sin destroys our hearts. It destroys our lives. And it turns us away and against each other. But Elijah, when he comes, he points us to none other than the person and work of Jesus Christ who gives us new hearts and turns us toward the Lord and toward each other and for each other. And you say, well, how will Elijah do this? Just like the old Elijah did. 
The same way the prophets did in the Old Testament. The same way John the Baptist did before Jesus' first coming. The same way the two witnesses will do before Jesus' second coming. Elijah will call people to repent of their sin and to turn to Jesus. Why? Because our problem, folks, when you look at this presidential election, when you look at the Middle East, when you look at our country, listen, our problem is not economical, it's not sociological, it's not even political. It's spiritual. And there's only one solution. And that is none other than Jesus Christ. Our only hope in this world is to turn from our sins and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And the time is now before it's too late. Today, the Apostle Paul says, is the day of salvation before the coming day of judgment. And once you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, well, oh my, the third one is a blast. That's to look forward to His coming, right? That's to look forward and to rejoice that Jesus is coming soon. Make no mistake, He is coming. Right? Amen? Are you excited about that? Jesus is coming again and He's coming soon. God declares, for behold, the day is coming. And the question is, are you ready here this morning? Are you ready? If so, then look forward and rejoice. If you're not ready, there's still time Look upward and repent because ready or not, Jesus is coming. And the question is, will it be a day of judgment for you or will it be a day of joy for you? Do you realize that it is no accident that you, that you, and that you, and you, you realize it's no accident that you are here this morning. And that I am speaking this message of Malachi chapter 4. This is not by coincidence. No, I am not the biblical Elijah of the Old Testament, nor am I the Elijah that will come in Revelation chapter 11. But I am a kind of Elijah here this morning. A voice that is crying out in the 21st century wilderness of our country to you this morning. And my message is one of mercy and hope. Prepare now for the coming day of the Lord before it's too late. This is God's invitation of mercy to you. God's invitation of hope for your life to you today. Listen, you are God's creation. He loves you. He wants you to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And the bridge is already built with the cross of Jesus Christ. And your sin is already paid for by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. But you must respond to it. You must act. You must put your faith and trust in Him. You must, in other words, what is called repentance, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ for your salvation. I plead with you this morning to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead so that you will rejoice at His coming 
again. I leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 10, 9 and 10. It's there at the bottom of your notes. Listen to what it says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's hope in that. There's mercy in that. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Are you ready? Jesus is coming. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As we come to our response time, the time when we respond to the message of God. And His message is profound and powerful this morning. And the response is powerful and profound as well. And that is, if you are not yet ready to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus Christ, to do what the Apostle Paul lays out here in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If God is tugging at your heart, don't resist. Use this time now, right where you're seated, to cry out to the Father. Ask Him to save you. Confess your sin before Him and plead with Him to save you. Ask Him for His forgiveness of sin and you will receive it and He will grant you the gift of eternal life. Will you respond? Will you pray to Him? if that is your heart's desire. Will you respond as the praise team sings?